The Union is a Congress of over 50 countries, but in fact, it functions as a dictatorship by the U.S., which controls the distribution of solar David, energy. call a special so session of the Union Parliament and assemble the representatives of the major the nations. Very well, nation. sir. Therefore, the Republic of Terribia is seceding from the Union, and we claim independent access to this energy. If any nation brings political or military pressure to bear in order to deny us our claim, then we shall respond with military action. Our nation defiantly opposes domination by the despicable U.S. Welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that's giving Double O a try. My name is Jeremy. I am a corn dog. I am Tyler. (laughs) It'll make sense later. It won't, but I know what he's going for. (laughs) My name is Zach. (laughs) So we are watching episode four of Gundam Double O today, International Negotiation. So if you're just joining us, there's only three. You should go back and listen to them. But in our previous series, we, we had an angry boy, a sangry boy, and a sad boy. And those have been replaced by four fuck boys. I mean, four <laughs> Gundam boys. I believe you mean Meisters. <laughs> Meister is German for boy, right? <laughs> Does Lock-On really count? He's 29, but yes. Okay. Uh, so these fuckboys' mom decided to give them a bunch of Gundams so they could stop war. I think uh, they were actually inherited from Grandpa. Yeah, they are inherited from a 200-year-old James Bond villain <laughs> who has been dead for 200 years, who told the world that the Gundams were going to stop war. So a reporter investigated and found out, wait a minute, he's been dead for over 200 years. That reporter has a brother. That brother has a girlfriend. They're characters <laughs> in the show for they're, some reason. They're neighbors with Setsuna Efsei, one of the fuckboys. Also, there's Graham Aker. He belongs to Eagle Union. Uh, with his friend Billy and their mentor Dan. And we get some excellent characters today, like Daryl Dodge. Yep, and Howard Mason. Two very, I, very I really people. wish they were both alliterative names. Yes. Well, isn't it a different terminology when it's a pair of consonants? I thought alliterative was two vowel sounds. Nope. So, so there's assonance and consonants. Okay, this is not an English podcast. <laughs> You almost trapped me. You almost <laughs> nerd trapped me. <laughs> uh, speaking of things that aren't English, there's also the Human Reform League, which is Indochina, Russia. And, and the stars <laughs> Sergei Smirnov, heir to the Smirnov fortune. Yep. And the Advanced Europeans. Yes, and the Advanced Europeans, they have Patrick Collisar, I guess, our boy. But he's too busy playing virtual reality video games and making cameos to be in this series. You know why they're called Advanced Europeans? It's because they're all coordinators. No, uh, because we're going to get a coordinator this episode. That's next. Oh, uh, well, they don't talk about the fact that she is. No, oh, is that not till next week? Yeah. Okay. I thought she specifically introduced herself as Super Soldier Number One. She does. Well, yeah, but that could be anything. It's Gundam. Yeah, they could have <laughs> injected her with Captain America juice. They could have put made her a Hulk. She could be a Hulk for all we know in this episode. <laughs> she could be an Ant Man. Who knows? So yeah, now you're caught up. <laughs> Like I said, we are going to watch International Negotiation. Anything we want to say about it before we start? I think this is the first time I've ever actually used the term brinksmanship. 
what does brinksmanship mean? Basically, both sides came to the table and said, okay, now you move first. Okay. Because that's what they did. The uh, eagle, or the union... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> the cacaz! The, the storm eagle union. <laughs> the, the union and uh, one of their satellite states engaged in it. We're not warring with you. We're not warring with you. And then Celestial Being is like, yeah, well, we're going to war with you. <laughs> I'm not Celestial touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm fucking shooting you. Yeah. Exactly. I guess that is something I want to ask Tyler. This is your first time watching Gundamo. So what did you think of Celestial Being's response to the situation in this episode? I was wondering where they're going with it. I actually, like, they... Uh, set up the stakes and then like resolve them within the same episode basically but i was actually wondering where they were going to go with that and i feel like that is a response it's certainly a justifiable response i don't know i have some questions about it i feel like this episode actually asked some interesting questions about stuff in general which hey good job a random gundam series I felt like they no-sold the stakes, because everyone was like, if they side with them, it's going to be a problem, but if they do nothing, it's going to be a problem, and then they're like, yeah, but we're not going to side with them. We're just going to fuck up both sides. I do think it does kind of set up a straw man, but my takeaway is more like, oh, this is a very predictable response, but I've seen the series before, and like I said, I don't remember it very well, so I didn't remember how Celestial Being responded, but I felt like this was the predictable answer, but I don't know if I feel that way because it is, or because I've seen it before and part of me did remember what their answer was. I couldn't remember precisely what it was. I thought they were going to go there and just attack both sides. Yeah. Like they did on the island. But instead, they're like, no, you are starting this, so we're going to attack you. I will agree with Tyler, though. I like that they're interrogating the idea. Like we said, there are obstacles to what Celestial Being is trying to do. And here they set up a situation that doesn't have an obvious answer and show what Celestial Being's answer is. And it's not really a cop-out, I don't think. The way the episode sets up the stakes, I agree with you, Zach. They kind of cop out of it. But the way the situation actually is, this is a valid response to it like it wasn't whiplash, right? Like I don't know that this is the predictable response, but also I don't know that it was like completely off the table. I wasn't like, "Whoa, that's the solution they went with." I was like, "Huh, bold moves, Cotton." Like I said, what a major part of what turned me off about Gundam Double was thinking it was created by the same people who made Destiny when it shares almost no DNA with that, and being afraid that they weren't going to interrogate Celestial Being at all the way they didn't interrogate the <laughs> Destiny plan. And as you said, Tyler, they have been slowly interrogating it almost every episode up till now. The sort of problem with that is it feels like we aren't advancing anywhere. Yeah, we're just getting a lot of interrogatories. And corn dogs. Okay, so if no one else has anything to say, it's not a corn dog. That's it's why not, I know. <laughs> I realized that after I wrote it down, but... <laughs> I was staring at the note, and we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. I was like, corn dog, what is he talking? And I got three later, and I'm like, oh, that's not a corn dog. <laughs> Oh, oh, I, okay. I get what he's going for now. That's not a corn dog. You're no, an idiot. No, it's not. <laughs> so we are going to watch episode four, International Negotiation. You can watch on Crunchyroll if you like, or apparently Netflix in Germany, according to Slack five minutes ago. <laughs> to very specifically date this episode for very specific people on our Discord, which you can join. Hi, Strike Lori. We don't mention you, so I will. Join our Discord. We start on the Ptolemy, cut to the Double D room, I mean the briefing room, where the bridge bunnies are all watching a news conference by the Human Reform League. Where and they gravity is operating based on whatever rules it feels like at the moment. It's Gundam gravity. You're familiar. I just noticed Pink Hair has like an earbud in, and no one else seems to. Well, that's because she doesn't want to watch this. 
<laughs> She's listening to Audible. It's her audiobook. Anyway, the Human Reform League are like, fuck Celestial Being. They keep wrecking okay. our stuff. Okay, there's one guy in that scene who just looked very sad and like he wanted to go home and take a nap. <laughs> they all have uh, yeah, earbuds no. in. They totally do. So they're like, oh man, eradicating war is going to be hard, huh guys? But Tiari is like, yes, but that is our goal. Cut to Tokyo. Okay, it's Kira. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're right. He's just got done shopping while they play the speech from the Human Reform League on a big TV. Actually, I that was an intentional Easter egg. What's actually happening is that he's holding Lacus's bag while she ran off to go do something. <laughs> actually, he's just confused as to where the colonies went. There are still colonies in Double O. We just don't talk about them. There aren't the plants. We also see Setsuna, who has just a TV on the floor in his room. And, and a also bunch a bunch of, of newspapers. scattered newspapers and a uh, mattress with, like, the bare minimum frame and no other furnishings. It's a cot. Okay, so I, I had this realization about Setsuna um, on the way down here and that his character designer and the screenwriters came up with two entirely different characters. And now this guy who dresses in, like, this extremely stylish outfit with his, like, fancy red scarf lives in this extremely Spartan room. And it's such a weird, like, the fact that his clothing choices don't match his all of his other aesthetic choices is just so bizarre to me. Uh, clearly, you, Sumeragi picks out his clothes for him. <laughs> you know what bothers me about this scene? More than, you know, the, his lack of furniture or his clothing, Tyler? No, Did he set up his TV on the same wall as his window? <laughs> no. No empty ramen it's boxes? 300 years in the future. Who the fuck is still printing papers? <laughs> it's having like a retro revival right now. Yeah, it's, it's just in vogue. They're cool and popular. They're like collector's items. Oh, they, they figured out how to make them non-fungible. They're non-fungible tokens. Everyone gets a unique paper, so they have resale value. <laughs> <laughs> on to uh, what you were talking about, Tyler. I feel like Setsuna, based on his personality, doesn't pick these kind of things out because, oh, yes, this is what I actually want to dress in or anything like that. It's this is how I blend in. So that's why he dresses like this? He super doesn't, though. Everyone else is wearing just, like, a jacket and some pants. He blends in better than he would running around in clothing. I think he would pick on his own. I feel his like he would just Gundam. wear... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, fair. Um, I was gonna say, I feel like he would just, like, wear all black and, like... I don't feel like he'd wear all black, but he would definitely stand out more than he would wearing this. See, I like to think, obviously, all the other characters have this, too. So this is just the way fiction works. But we only see him in one civilian outfit. So I like to see Setson just has a bunch of that outfit. He just <laughs> picked one outfit that someone told him looked good on him once, and he just has a bunch of that in his closet. And also the one scarf. Also, I feel like mainly the reason why he stands out isn't so much of what he's wearing, but because he's of Arabian descent in Japan. I mean, you can't tell, really, because I mean, it's an, an anime. anime. Yes, yeah. but he is. Anyway, he's reading a newspaper that presumably Kinue wrote because it's like, ah, Aeolia Shehenberg is dead 200 years ago. Cut to the opening. It's still good. So once more, we get the status quo. We get a slightly shorter version of it. It doesn't tell us what the three countries are. It definitely but... reminds me of Wings, but it's nowhere near as long. Yeah, thank God. After Colony 195, a whole bunch <laughs> of shit. We're not even going to tell you about Oz, the main antagonists, but here's a picture of them. Look how Napoleonic they are. <laughs> Basically, in the 24th century, war was beginning. No, nope, war was continued. Yeah, war never ended, I guess. War, war never changes. Thank you. I was going to say <laughs> the exact same thing. But then Celestial Being, they have Gundams. That's a game changer. So what I are mean, they, they kind do? of are. What What if someone else, like, reverse engineers one? I mean, what? that's what they're oh, trying to do. Yeah. It's almost like that's the plot. 
Yeah. Like, doesn't that just kind of ruin the plan? I feel like also given that you only have four of them, losing one of them it already kind of ruins the plan. No, I'm not even thinking losing one of them. I'm just thinking, like, what if someone else makes a fifth one, and then now it's a partisan Gundam? Do you think there are any scientists as good as Aeolia Shehenberg? you think Dan can do that? Well, his last name is Eifman, which is pretty good. <laughs> like I said, there's a side comic that has another reactor running around and a bunch of machines for it. Yeah. yeah. And an absolute psychopath driving it. He's the guy who was too crazy for Celestial Beings Gundam <laughs> Meisters. Cut to a city on fire, and we see a nice Aladdin palace. And lo and behold, it's that one chick from the opening who appeared briefly in episode one for a reaction. Yeah, it's Sheeran back there and Marina Ishmael. We don't get Sheeran's name. But she's like, hey, we need to press forward with our policy or the terrorists are going to start coming for us. Now I'm going to exposit at you about our country's situation. Yes, we didn't help build the solar elevator because we had a bunch of oil. So now everybody's embargoing us and won't buy our oil or let us have solar power. It sucks. So they put me, a teenage girl, in charge as a princess to raise morale. Well, based on uh, what things tracked in Nadesco, makes sense. You pick the young girl who uh, is attractive and all that because it's purely a motivational thing here in unspecified a stand. I was going to say, at the end of the episode, she's like, I'm the only one who can do it. And it's because someone once told her when she was a little girl, her smile was like a ray of sunshine, and she literally thinks that means she can generate solar energy from it. Oh, come on. She's not that stupid. No, but other people might be. I actually don't think anyone's a complete moron in this show. So, as opposed to Destiny, there are a lot of people I think Nobody so far seems to be holding the idiot ball. I feel like there is one, but I can't think of who. Yeah. Thierry is just a dick. Yeah. Uh, some of the other... It's, not, it's definitely not one in Celestial Being. Saji. Saji is the idiot. <laughs> I don't really get idiot I mean, out of Saji. He's I get 16 naive. is the problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get naive out of Saji, but not really idiot. So anyway, Marina's assistant is like, hey, if we don't get stuff together soon, Celestial Being's going to come and wreck our shit. Is it just me, or does she look like she wants that to happen? She definitely does. She seems like she's the evil Vizar. Like, his, <laughs> the council is like, we get to choose a princess, and Jafar's like, yes, but I get to choose her assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she definitely does give off a evil vizier look to her and feel to her in, these, in this episode. Cut to Celestial Being Island. They're just chilling out on Sunrise Island here. Where Alleluia and Lockon are chilling, but as Zach pointed out before... We started recording. Setson is apparently the only one sane enough to go get an apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys are just chilling out on an island in the middle of fucking nowhere. I kind of like how, while they're having this discussion about the real ERA, or real ERA, their uh, earned runs against the real IRA ceasefire. Hallelujah is just like, I'm just going to sit here and read a book while you hang out talking at me. I like to believe it's a book of motivational quotes. Well, especially since this conversation is very much... So if you didn't watch the last episode, everybody thinks we're cool right now, but soon they won't, because we have to end war. No, see, Tyler, he's working on his English. So that's the kind of book he's reading. He's reading a book on how to speak better English, because he likes to use it. That's why he does it in practice when he launches out of the uh, Ptolemaeus. Oh, Oh, I was wondering where the hell you were going with that. <laughs> it took you a while to get there. I think it's a good joke if I edit it down correctly. <laughs> Isn't that how basically everything I say is? No, sometimes you're witty. So Lockon's like, get some rest, kid. We're going to have to work soon. It is an episode after all. Cut to Oint. the Human Freeform League Oint headquarters, where this guy relaxing in a chair, just chilling, about to kick his feet up. It's like, 
So, Sergey, you fought a Gundam, right? What do you think? Presumably, this guy outranks Sergey, so he's a colonel or above. And so Sergey's like, yes, sir, in my personal opinion, we fucked. <laughs> Nobody can match one right now. Now we finally get to see this guy's face up close, and he's clearly a Bond villain. No, he's not. No, yeah, he, he's not like the traditional Bond villain, but he's definitely like a 90s young hip Bond villain. Oh, uh, okay. Like a Pierce Brosnan Bond villain. Yes, I, absolutely. Although he did, he, he fought Steve Jobs, a woman. Um, <laughs> and then some random North Korean dude. Yeah, a North Korean guy who turned himself white. And Sean Bean. <laughs> Those are the people Pierce Brosnan fought. Not no, in that order. I have only ever seen one Bond movie, and it was Tomorrow Never Dies. You want to go see uh, No Time to Die? Uh, I'll think about it. Uh, Sergey's like, yeah, that's my opinion. And he's like, yeah, cool. That's what I called you out here for. So your mission is to acquire a Gundam before the AEU or the Union? I mean, that makes perfect sense, because he who claims a Gundam first will have the technology to outpace either of the other two. Yep. He's like, I'm forming an elite unit for this purpose. We heard the Union was, so we have to, too. You get to pick the guys, but I am going to make you take this one person. Please come in dramatically, Soma Pierce. Sup? So in walks Soma Pierce. She's Lieutenant. a girl with very white, long hair and yellow cat eyes. She is Lieutenant Soma Pierce, super soldier number one. Also, I read her hair as lavender, but... Oh, okay, I can see that. I've always read it as white, but you saying that, I can see it. I get white as well. I'm actually legitimately not seeing what you're talking about. So the problem is her glove is white. Her hair is clearly purple yeah, by comparison. Yeah, look at the the white glove next to her hair. Okay, Zach's colorblind. I also read it as white, but well, I can I'm, definitely I'm, see what Tyler's on about. I'm looking at about. the white of her glove, the white of her eyes, and the white of her hair. It's it, Her hair is definitely a darker white. It's more. It's closer to gray, but it's not lavender. <laughs> you might say it has like a little bit of like bluish tones in it, maybe some like purple. I can it's definitely not see fucking <laughs> lavender. I can see where he's coming from. It's Well, it's like washed out lavender. Anyway, she's the first super soldier from the Superhuman Institute. And Sergey's like, Superhuman Institute? Sir, that project was like, eh, guess they continued it in secret. Who knew? Certainly not me, plausible deniability. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's going to be our trump card against the Gundam. So here you go. I mean, in theory, like, here, here's a soldier to, to drive your mobile suit. When he literally just said, there's no mobile suit that can stand up to them. I feel like you're missing the primary, like, tool for this job. And that's a human child to throw into a fancy mobile suit. I think you're missing the fancy mobile suit. Well, that's, they're working you on You have it. the human child. That's easy. <laughs> you got part one. <laughs> now you just need their dad to die right after he completes his masterpiece. You got a child soldier in my giant robot. You got a giant robot around my child soldier. <laughs> We're not talking about Setsuna. <laughs> We're talking about Soma Pierre's. Sergey's like, man, you're too young for this. I like that line, because it is another window towards Sergei's personality and character. Yep. And it's not the first time we'll have that thought. It's not the last time it is. It is the first time. <laughs> it, yeah, sorry, that's, time. What, that's what I meant. Yeah, that one. The, the <laughs> one that makes more sense. No, he actually had that thought earlier that day. He's like, man, it sure would suck if a child soldier got laid in my lap today. <laughs> <laughs> Phrasing. <laughs> that would suck. <laughs> I feel like earlier on that day, he was like, man, I'm too old for this. All the kids around me are too young for this. <laughs> no one's the right age ever. <laughs> for war? No, Man, of course that's not. That's accurate. So Setsuna is eating a hot dog, or if you're reading Tyler's notes, a corn dog. <laughs> okay, to be fair, in this particular scene, it does look more like a corn dog. And no, then it doesn't. He, until he and, lowers and it he, like two degrees. And so then he moves the... it at all, yes. <laughs> Although, 
I don't think I've ever even thought about putting a hot dog in a bag like that because you get all of your condiments off of it. Oh, I I've, I assume he bought it like that because I've definitely bought hot dogs wrapped like that. They're awful. They taste weird and steamed, but I have bought it before like it's that. It's the future. They yeah. taste edible now. <laughs> like I don't think Setson is a baby, but I don't think he's capable of cooking even something as simple as a hot dog. I assume <laughs> yeah. he bought this. No, see, I, I think... Setsuna is capable of cooking, but he doesn't know how to use most of the, like, traditional kitchen implements because of his bringing up as a child soldier. So, like, he could use, like, a camp stove or something like that. Yeah, that's But fair. not any of the technology that he would have access to here. That said, his hot dog is wrong because it only has ketchup. I was just imagining him staring at it so intensely. He's like, I must eat this for fuel because I am a Gundam. Anyway, he's sitting on a park bench eating a hot dog, watching some people peep. Keep track of that last line that was said before his flashback. Then it explodes. Yeah, then a piece of debris falls out of the sky and just blows up the entire square. I didn't get debris. I got an artillery shell. Yeah, yeah, I'd buy that too. The, the first time I saw it, I thought it was a meteor, but I'm certain you're right, Zach, on yep. even my second viewing. Based on his um His PTSD? His, yeah, his, his PTSD, <laughs> his backstory, I, and also kind of what is in a second. But he gets this vision of this entire square is just absolutely screwed up. He's just the only one sitting on a bench. Apparently, he has also lost his hot dog in this. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's like... <laughs> There are charred bodies everywhere. It's actually kind of a horrific scene, and he just kind of takes it all in, then looks back up, and the fountain's fountaining. Yeah, he's looking at a body that isn't, apparently isn't there, and then when the fountains go up again, he looks back up, and the scene is perfectly fine. I did not remember this scene at all from my original watching, which is wild, because it's all I've been able to think about for the past week, is this scene specifically. Especially since I've been talking about how in Gundam Seed, we would always get into Kira and Atherin's head, usually via flashbacks. And that really, really resonates with me because the flavor of anxiety I have is I'm always thinking about all the dumb mistakes I've made my entire life, something that only increases the longer I live. Uh, So that Kira is constantly thinking about the bad things that have happened in his past really, really resonates with me. Whereas Setsuna here, we don't get that sort of insight into him he has this sort of anxiety where he thinks something is just going to go wrong that he has no control over and i find this to be a super fascinating view into sets in his head while still telling us nothing about him it's such a brief thing and i really love the fact that it is basically tilting into yes this dude is messed up in the head this is the kind of thing he just naturally gravitates towards thinking about but it doesn't go into too much detail And, you know, you kind of need to use stuff like this for a character that's as quiet as Setsuna. So my question is, is this as crazy as Setsuna is? Uh, Well, I mean, we already know he thinks he's a Gundam and this is also a PTSD thing. So, yes, he is fairly crazy. While he's certainly injured, I will say a thing about Setsuna is clearly he knows how to cope, right? As evidenced by the scene right after this. But he has this vision, but he doesn't, like, react to it or start freaking out or anything. It definitely gives the impression that this is just something that happens on an on a regular basis with yeah. him. So he is definitely damaged, if not crazy. Like I think calling him damaged would be a, a bit yeah, better sure. of a term. Although, no, his belief of him being a Gundam, yeah, he is crazy, but he is also damaged. Yeah, he's also having like vivid visual hallucinations, if we're to believe this scene we just saw as a literal translation of what's going on in his head. And then Either just... that or it was a really, really bad hot dog. Yeah, or, <laughs> or it was such a bad hot dog, which he then goes and takes another bite out of. But then Saji Crossroads shows up, and it's like, hey, it's you. I love how Setsuna looks up at him and just, name. I mean, he's way more socially adept than Hiro Yui. As his, <laughs> not, his, he's not like, I'll kill you. He's like, hey, I remember your name. I know who you are. Again, I think this is proof that he is capable of coping. He's not in a good place, 
He's not in a healthy place, but he's able to fake it, and that's the first step. What's important about this scene is we see that Setsuna remembered Saji's name. Yes. Yep. Saji <laughs> did not remember <laughs> Setsuna's name. Anyway, Lucy's like, who's this? Like, oh, it's my neighbor. He's, um, Say. Setsuna F. Say. <laughs> the way they they are, it kind of looks like Lucy. Lu- Luis is Luis hiding is behind hiding him behind Saji from the crazy person. Yes, it does. Cut to the union where Dan has finished work on Graham's new flag with anti beam coating. They talk about an anti beam coating, but I'm like, beams aren't in like high use. Where did you get this? It might like, be theoretical. This pro- is this like a prototype thing? Presumably, he just taped a bunch of mirrors to it, <laughs> and he got a cool new rifle. And Graham's like, oh, great work. But Billy's like, hey, you're going to feel like 12 Gs at turning speed. Isn't 12 Gs fatal? Yep. And Graham Aker's like, I'm a protagonist. I'll make that con save. Yeah, I heard that and was like, I thought it was a situation where you can take up to like 15 Gs in a straight line. I mean, it's 300 years of the future, Zach. Humanity has evolved to take more Gs. 5G was not enough. I just don't remember the tests that they did. Like it, it was something like you can always you can take more G's in a straight line than you can la- like when you're turning. That's well, true, it, and also like G's directly down on you are worse than. Yeah, it depends also on, like which direction you experience them. The human body is better in some directions than others. Yeah, if I but, remember right, like when it is coming at you, that that's what I mean when I say linear. Like yeah, when when you're going into them and you're being pressed backwards, the the body is better equipped to handle those. Yeah, that's coincidentally why cars all face the same direction and don't, like, people used to, like, have, like, carriage-style things where, like, you can sit side by side, and uh turns out that's fatal. So, <laughs> don't do that. Um, I'm trying to find out how many Gs kill a person. Give me a second. G- anyway. Mr. Al, how many Gs does it take to get the Tootsie Roll Center of a human? <laughs> Let's find out. At the very least, taking 12 Gs laterally, like they're talking about, would not be very good for you. Fighter pilots can manage up to about 9Gs for a second or two, but a sustained force of even 6G would be fatal. So there you go. 300 so years of advancement. He'd probably be at the either redding out or blacking out, making one of those turns. Graham Aker actually just has completely prosthetic limbs <laughs> and <laughs> to prevent the blood flow from mattering. Uh, so anyway, we see some... Two other guys come up in this very empty-looking hair- they hanger. They super look like they're part... Oh, man, I forgot the name of... Uh, Reno and the other the Turks. There we go. They look like the Turks from Final <laughs> Fantasy VII to me. Okay, I can see that. They're definitely got that quirky mini boss squad energy. <laughs> They're designed, but you're not supposed to care about them too much. Warrant Officer Howard Mason and Master Sergeant Daryl Dodge. It's because Graham Aker is good at picking friends with names. <laughs> and Daryl Dodge is a black guy. They're like none of those in anime. He also looks extremely serious I mean, right now. This series, though, does have a bit more minority representation, I guess, because Setsuna and Marina are both Arab. That's true. They're, they're both Arabian descent. Not that you can tell, because, again, anime. it's an well, anime. They, they look coffee-stained. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. If you know to look for it, they do. Anyway, they are part of the anti-Gundam task force at Graham Aker's request. He refers to them as the flag fighters, which I love. I feel like that's just the the union's terminology for fighter pilots is flag fighters. I think it's slang within the military. I don't think it's anything official, but I don't know that. It might be referring to specifically flag pilots. Hey, speaking of things I learned about the setting because I had to look up other things, Australia is in the union and New Zealand. Oh, nice. I was curious about that. That's very broad. It's Australia, New Zealand, Japan, South America, Central America, and North America. That is very large. 
Yeah, I'm really surprised also. I mean, that tracks with kind of like modern day alliances, but I'm With like, the exception of South America. Portions? Well, I assume given stuff we find out in this episode that that's where they had to build an ep- elevator and they very quickly became on our side. Peace through superior firepower. Uh, speaking of, hey, it's the president asking David if he saw the news. And this is the episode where I realized the president shares a voice actor with Andrew Walfelt. <laughs> <laughs> and yet no coffee. Nope. And he's like, so I was watching Fox News like a U.S. president does. And they were like, celestial beings should be appointed as world police. His assistant's like, yeah, that'd be way better than the United Nations. And we wouldn't have to pay for it. I, he's like laughing as he says it. Too, I mean, on the great. one hand, they're not wrong. I mean, they're clearly joking. though. Yes. I, mean, I like the tone a lot. And the president's like, yeah, celestial being, if they are actually doing what they're saying they're doing, are going to fight everybody. So I don't think anyone's going to team up with them like that. And then an important aide guy comes in. He's like, Mr. President, I have a report that Terebia will be making an announcement tomorrow. And he's like, hmm. Terebia, in case you're not good at world geography, is not a real country. No. They show us a map later. It's in Venezuela-ish. Yes. None of the countries in this are real countries. Japan. Even- <laughs> Japan. Well, I guess Japan. <laughs> well, like, a, a, Australia, a, a, a also. Azetistan, I think is how, like... Uh, I, I refer to it jokingly as unspecified a stan. Made up a stan, as oh, I have in my notes. <laughs> not actually made up. It was a real country for about six years. Oh, really? Oh, really? I yeah. did not know that. I want to say in the 1800s. I looked it up. Neat. It was a Muslim country, but does not exist in any sort of current political climate. I wonder Where? if they looked that up. They probably looked that up and pulled that name out. Yeah, I don't think they just randomly made up a name and it happened to be a real country for a brief period in history. What I want to know is the cultural origins of Terribia, because that is not a South American name. Yeah, I'm pretty like... sure that's just, we don't want Venezuelans to be mad at us if we sell this in South America. <laughs> Let's make up a country. Yeah, especially because it is, you know, kind of a, like you pointed out earlier, closest to our history and our world. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, what happened there to get a name like Terribia in a mostly Spanish-speaking continent. <laughs> in Gundam Seed, I think the only, like reference to a real world nation was alaska there's also the kingdom of scandinavia which is less a country and and, and more a group oh sorry and that time stella burned germany (laughs) (laughs) also they actually did call it germany didn't they yep for whatever reason i forgot that they actually called it germany i I thought we we made that joke of her setting germany on or killing all of germany but I forgot it actually was. Yeah, it was Germany. Just all of Berlin, to be fair. We we overstated it a little bit. Germany, what is Germany but Berlin? Hey, having been there, uh, there's a lot of not Berlin, and uh, I don't <laughs> recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> we apologize to any German listeners for Tyler. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Cut to the Ptolemaeus, where Sir Miragi is asking Veda what its prediction is, and it's like, here some numbers, here's some geography. Here's something they aren't revealing. Veda, they say it's some supercomputer. It's Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) Sumeragi's just a Reddit warrior, and that's why she's so good at predicting stuff. Sumeragi's like, ah, Reddit agrees with me. I have made 12 different counter plans, but they all have some form of risk. Well, I mean, that's how it always is. You're not going to have 100%, you know, guaranteed not to have any kind of risk. So Christina calls her and is like, hey, Terribi is announcing something. And she's like, ah, just as I thought. She looks so distraught about it, though. Well, I mean, maybe it's... she doesn't want to war. Like, that's kind of her thing. Like, she doesn't actually want to do war. She's very good at it. I feel like none of them want to do war. But hard to say with Thierry, because he's a bit of a dick. That's fair. And I feel like Setsuna knows only how to war. 
I don't think he necessarily wants to. He just doesn't know anything else. So apparently what Setsuna needs to do is hang out with Sosuke a bit. <laughs> because then Sosuke could be like, yo, dude, you need to get a girlfriend. I mean, I feel like a girlfriend would help Setsuna a lot. <laughs> Conversely, though, I really think Setsuna needs to work on himself a lot before he's ready for that. I was going to say, I feel like a lot of the Gundamisers would be helped by go see a goddamn therapist. Oh, they're fictional characters. So yes, yes, they would. (laughs) So this guy is like, the union sucks. Those damn Americans, they're always making demands on us. In theory, the union is 50 nations of a Congress, but it's in reality, the U.S. just controls everything. Cut to the president looking very bored, like, hey, David, announce an emergency session of the union parliament. Call representatives of a of all major nations, which while he says this, the guy is calling out how, you know, it's the will of one nation. So on the one hand, it's like, yes, it's, it's counterbalancing what the guy is saying. But at the same time, it's like, due to saying, yeah, we're going to call it, I have the power to convene this session. I mean, I think what he's saying is proven right pretty much by yep. this episode. He's like, anyway, should the union attempt any military or political action against us, we will respond with our military. Because we oppose domination by the inferior United States. Mass applause. Yeah, so everyone in the room gets up and applauds. I'm like, this seems like terrible economic policy, dude. Well, as we'll find out, they control the elevator physically, so they have leverage. Yeah, I feel like also they need some, like, natural resources. I don't know. Maybe they're doing fine. I, I mean, know. I feel like that kind of is the most important natural resource in this world, right? Is energy. Yes this scene here i just get the feeling because she's not in like the the like robes yeah, we, we or whatever casual marina it, it feels like marina just got home from school <laughs> <laughs> i think she's like 1920 doesn't mean she can't be getting home from college true you're our princess and an ambassador and college student uh that sounds like an anime character i mean that's one. only three jobs i was gonna look up how old she actually is 24 yeah she's 24 so anyway she's like yeah that nation always hated the u.s but, like, this is crazy, just seceding from the uh, Union and demanding rights. Her aide is like, maybe they're just setting up for their elections. And she's like, no, like, this could only hinder solar power. And her aide is like, well, of course, the Americans are going to get the aid of the Union militarily. And Terribia knows that. So they're counting on Celestial Being putting in an appearance. I got the impression a lot that Marina's aide is constantly disappointed with how slow Marina is on the uptake in this episode. It's such a weird way to introduce them, right? It is. I don't know what we're supposed to feel about the aide at all. She seems, like I said, like the evil vizier, but it makes Marina seem like just a girl. Yeah, that's why I was surprised when you said she was supposed to be 24. I was thinking more along the lines of 16. The age is not really what does it for me. It's mostly the fact that she's supposed to be like the appointed leader and the aide is like, well, you're a dumbass and let me explain this to you. Um, Well, it does kind of give the impression that Marina never got any kind of training in statecraft. So I'm also raises the question of why did they think she was qualified for this? They had a uh, pop idol election. (laughs) And I was going to say cut to the... uh, Human Reform League's, like, military briefing room. There's a bunch of copy-paste military dudes. And Sergei, who kind of fits in. And then, man, I already forgot her name. Soma Soma Pierce. Pierce Is sitting there, and she's like, I'm a child with (laughs) long purple hair sitting in this room. It's like, someone bring me a juice. (laughs) (laughs) She just looks so out of place in this room. (laughs) 
Especially because she's across the uh, the table from old dude with scar over eye. Really, what makes her stand out is that she's the most anime ass looking person in the room by a long shot. Because she has white hair. Yeah, yeah. Sergei does not look like an anime character, despite no. Being he one. looks like an old grizzled anime character. Like he looks like the mentor character that's about to die. He looks like he belongs in Fist of the North Star. His hair is just a little too normal to be even yeah. that sack. <laughs> Anyway, he's like, so, Soma, do you understand why Terribia is doing this? And she's like, yes, sir. I am a literal child, but I'm smarter than Marina Ismail. It's because they're <laughs> counting on Celestial being intervening if the Union attacks. I don't so much think it's a matter of Marina being stupid as uh, Marina is supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be, like, very naive. Yeah, it's just such a weird innocent. way to introduce her, and, like we uh, said. Also, I get the feeling it's also supposed to imply that she's not thinking things all the way through. And she's not thinking of them in military terms, whereas everybody else that we're given uh, them basically figuring it out are military people. Yeah, Graham's like, I'm so ready to fight this thing. Well, he's got a bitchin' new custom flag. Anyway, cut back to Aid, who's like, man, this sure could be a good play if Terribia can get Celestial Bean on their side. I wonder if she's supposed to be like Marina's tutor for this. Yeah, maybe. It's just she has such an aggressive... Stance. I don't know. That's the only thing that makes sense to me as to why her attitude towards Marina is the way it is. If she's supposed to be teaching her statecraft. So cut to Chun Li in a car. Wang Le Mei being like, ah, well, they know what we're going to do, but we have to do it. Also, Alejandro Corner is here. Ribbons is just standing awkwardly watching him drink because he likes to watch, as we found out (laughs) last week. And Sumeragi comes into the rec room. I don't like, feel like this is the rec room. This is like the briefing room, which is why... Because this is also the same room they were all watching the TV. I have TVs in my briefing rooms. Actually, it probably makes a lot of sense. You can put yep. PowerPoints on them. How else is she going to show them all the Reddit threads that support there? <laughs> I imagine she's just like... As she's like going through, she's like upvoting things. Um. I, I had a, a, a thought earlier. Like, how does Celestial Being like recruit people? Like, are there Craigslist ads? We will get some of that answered. I don't know that it's like, I think if you think about it enough, the answer they give breaks, but they will give it an answer to that. I assume supercomputer. So we get not an eye catch. Hello, and thank you for watching episode four of Double O with us. I'm still a little bit flabbergasted by the fact that according to Jeremy, the character having vivid hallucinations is in fact one of the more sane Gundam pilots. Of course, in the future, we still haven't learned a lot more about the pilots, so... Yeah, who knows? If you like the show, then hey, here's a plug for our Patreon.com slash LastPodcast, where you can get access to all of our episodes early, in addition to some bonus content. We just finished recording an episode on Bring It On Ghosts, or also known by the alternative title that I think is way better, Hey Ghosts, Let's Fight. I'm the only one who liked it, but that's okay. Also, special thanks to our newest patron, Looker. I really hope that's a Pokemon reference. We also have a couple other projects in the works including an upcoming Patreon-funded drop into the public feed on a Gundam movie. It's not the one you want it to be. Anywho, thanks for sticking around, and let's get back to the episode. Cut back to the news saying that that the Union has decided to dispatch their military to Terribia, and we see Setsuna going for a late-night jog. He's just running along. Because everybody else is, like, mounting up into their Gundams. I love the, the Haro holder that is in the Dynamis. Okay, so is the Haro necessary to pilot the Dynamis? I do not or? believe it is, but we heard him earlier tell the Haro to handle evasive maneuvers while he handled gunnery. Yeah, I think it's basically an AI co-pilot. So I don't think necessary, but I think helpful. 
So why doesn't everyone have one? Not everybody has cool sniper things. They need a backup CPU to use. Or he's the only one who wanted his sentient. And it is possible that all of the other ones have sockets for them, but none of the other pilots feel it necessary to have them. That's fair. Anyway, we see Setsuna sink into the ocean. Where the (laughs) container for his Gundam is, presumably, because it looks the same as the ones that are on land here on Gundam Meister Island. I love that he's not swimming down to it, though. He's just sinking. He was swimming earlier, and then he turned around and was like, okay, I can now engage my ballast. (laughs) So we see Graham Aker and his two wingman he just got being like, oh, man, we can't wait for our date with the Gundams. We're going to see how this thing will handle fighting them. It has to stand up to them because we did all this work. So we see the flags flying over to Ribia. They have control over the airspace. They launched from their Brazilian airbase. Flags over to Ribia is an excellent band name. Yes. Uh, the Terribians have these old realdos. That is what these mobile suits are called. I like how they are very clearly in that same family as the flags are. Yes, they are older versions of the flag. Yes, and it is very cool. You're right. They look like crap, but I like the fact that they follow in that same mold. This is one of those other things that I actually like that they do. Whenever they're going into actual combat, all the people on board the Ptolemaeus are in the spacesuits. Just though they're, they're not in combat. They're not even related to it. But it, it is a nice one of those things where it's like, okay, we're going into action. So they're all like, what are we going to do, Sumeragi? And she's like, what we have to do. Build tension so the audience wonders that. Why is there a barge? So one of the Union aircraft carriers sees the Exia. Zach, here's your opportunity for a Azure Lane joke. Some flags try to intercept, but their communication is jammed, because of course it is. I do love how the Gundams are just like, later, going on by. The Terribian Prime Minister's like, ah, they're here, as we expected. And the Union's like, looks like the Gundams are splitting up and each going for a major city. I thought they couldn't detect them via radar because of the particles. This might be visual information that the scouts are reporting. But, so, but then they, the scouts are being jammed. Well, only radio, though. Um, Okay, no, I see the problem. Uh, Carrier pigeon. Uh, (laughs) No, I was going to say, it it only uh, blocks radar and sub-radar, but have you heard of super-radar? I was going to say (laughs) over-radar. You would presume that they'd be able to get satellite imaging on them if they knew they were coming, right? If they're like, hey, we, we saw them visually get satellites to track them. I feel like that should work. I don't feel like it would be fast enough to give you real time information, though. It's the future. Sure, whatever. Also, okay, wait, no, what part of it do you think is not fast enough? Because I will like to point out that you can stream real-time stuff to your cell phone. From Mars. And we've got, what, a (laughs) 12-second delay from Mars? Yeah. Really? I thought it was more than that. Uh, It might be 12 minutes. It's a while. Yeah, I don't know how long it is. It's a while. I was going to guess five minutes, but... Anyway, Jafar is like, we've got word that Celestial Being is in Terribia. And Marina's like, ah, if they intervene, that'll play in Terribia's hands. But if they don't... That will take all the wind out of their sails. Which is actually, like, kind of an interesting question. I mean, it is, but they're, uh... They're it's a like, false okay, dichotomy. It, it has to be A or B, and they're totally forgetting option C. And, like, we cut to the U.S. president's, like, which option will you choose Celestial Being? And I think he is asking, hey, A, B, or C. I think he is aware of their actual options. Well, especially I like based on what happens right after they intervene. Yeah. I definitely think he is thinking of that as an option. I like that the chairman of the Human Reform League is watching this all on his TV at his desk, and he's, like, so tired because it's got to be, like, four in the morning or something for him. Sumeragi is like, mission, go. And Celestial Being starts shooting the weakest people they could possibly find because that's their deal. <laughs> in this case, it's Terivia. They're picking on the little guy. Yeah. The Terivians are like, has the Union begun their attack? Oh, no, it's a Gundam. 
Well, you haven't done anything. Why are you attacking us? And then we get four different characters piecing together the same sentence. Characters that are in Celestial Being. We said we would attack anyone who promotes war. You are promoting war. I mean, it is kind of uh, reinforcing that for the audience that what they are doing was actually said. And Terribia just, I guess, ignored them. Yeah, well, I think it's logically consistent. It's just not an option that I considered. I mean, I considered the option. I just thought based on what they had said that they were just going to attack both sides. Well, this sends a more powerful message of, hey, don't pull this shit with us. We recognize that you're trying to use us to do what you want, and that's not going to fly. We get a lot of shots. The uh, Gundam's just running rampant over the Terribian military. Hallelujah's even like, man, this is so one-sided. It's kind of boring, huh? It'd be cool if we had someone to fight that had stakes. Oh, well. So the Terribian Prime Minister's like, ah, but I see the Gundams are attacking our military. Get the president on the hotline. I, I definitely feel like this is not an option that that guy had anticipated. Like, he misinterpreted what they said when they came into play. So I definitely feel like he hadn't thought this through. I disagree based on stuff that happens later in this episode. Same. I think so. he also kind of was hoping for this outcome. And that the other outcome would have been fine with him, too, but this is the best case scenario for him. Well, the reason why I'm not thinking that he was anticipating this is largely because he kind of gets blackmailed here by the president. Sort of. A but... little, but he gets what he wants out of it, which is higher energy allocation and material resources. So, yeah. Also, President Stegmeyer. <laughs> He's like, oh, it sucks that Celestial Being is attacking you guys. If you were to rejoin the Union, of course we would help you out with our giant military we put there. I feel like the U.S. gets more out of it because they get political power in Terribia and a shot at the Gundam. But I think the Terribian prime minister gets what he wants. Maybe. I, I'm not sure that that's actually... <laughs> I, I think that's just one of the things that's an acceptable option. What the fuck is this phone? Yeah, so the president's talking on this, like, clearly a throwback to what the 2400s thought the 1800s had as a phone. <laughs> because what what it's like two pipes welded to like a shower faucet <laughs> yeah yeah this, someone this is going clearly... to monkey d luffy with this in an edited dub <laughs> this was clearly a gift to the president and they're like it would be rude to not use it <laughs> so the president gives the order to attack celestial being and graham Aker's like great crap card mr president cut to christina up on the ptolemaeus being like it looks like the union military is attacking us like we predicted and uh, felt that's her. Yep. Was like, all right, now all the Gundams are going to pull back just as we thought. Tiara's like, rrr, 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 rrr. grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. But then Christine's like, wait a moment. I have a machine closing in on the Exia. It's a flag, but it's almost three times as fast. And it's not even red. It's more than twice as fast. And it's going right for the Exia. And Setsuna was like, this fucker again. <laughs> I can tell he's not a teenager. Setsuna is surprised that this flag is catching him. And it even overtakes him after he has to dodge some of the fire. Setsuna returns fire, but he learned to dodge from Daryl Dodge. <laughs> I, I also feel like Setsuna probably doesn't have as much tr actual training as Grandmaker does in piloting these things. Probably not. Definitely not as much experience. Uh, Setsuna takes a hit. The XA is knocked back very similarly to when we saw it take a hit in the second episode. And Graham is like, got him. But then he just backflips into the sea. Later, <laughs> dude. <laughs> And Howard Mason's like, hey, great job, Lieutenant. He's like, he got away. Goddamn Gundams being all-terrain. Motherfuckers <laughs> being not generous at all. My custom flag could stand up to the Gundam, but he can run away underwater. Let's try diving. That's a neat trick. Yeah, that's not fair. I call hacks. 
Next, I'll have to make Dan make my flag all terrain. I'll have a sub flag. It'll go under the water. Then you'll see. So we cut back to Marina, who's like, oh, I didn't expect them to attack the Terribian military. But her aide's like, yeah, it looks like Terribian and America both expected that this was what was going to happen. And she's like, what? They expected it. And she's like, yeah, the moment Celestial Being was there, Terribia suddenly was just willing to borrow help from the U.S. military, and they acted immediately. Now Terribia's domestic anti-U.S. sentiments are going to subside because they got bailed out by their military, and they can start openly supporting U.S. policies. And Terribia's current government will receive assistance from the America, which will help them secure their power base. Largely, it's that shot there of the Terribian prime minister president dude or whatever the hell his position is. With, like, his jacket off and his tie off, and he's just, like, kind of looking morosely out the window that I was thinking that maybe he wasn't actually into... Like, this isn't the this isn't the outcome he wanted. Yeah, I think he's, this is what he expected, though. I think he was hoping. He only enacted the plan because this was the worst-case scenario for him, and it's fine for him. And I'm assuming that this was just the plan based on this speech, because I, I see no reason why this character would be fallible at this point. Yeah. And she's like, I wonder which country benefited more from these events. If you can't figure that out, you're an idiot, and you just should get out of here. <laughs> you're not qualified to save this nation. What training does she have that actually implies that she, you know, has training for this, or is qualified for this? Because she calls her the, the princess of the nation, but at the same time, she references the fact that they reinstituted the monarchy. Recently. Very recently. So what training has she ever received to be qualified to lead said nation in a time of crisis? Turns out she plays a sick sitar. She's just really good at Civ. <laughs> so we cut to the Crossroads household, where Saji's like, oh man, I thought Celestial Being were good guys. Why did they attack unprovoked? And his sister's like, man, the world ain't that simple, bro. And he's like, but I'm an idealistic teenager. I can't be expected to understand that. I'm the target audience. I'm confused by this. And she's like, well, this series is going to make you ask questions, so buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) He says they started the fighting, and I'm like, well, you had two nations that were, as I said, were kind of engaging in brinksmanship. So uh, you're only one aggressively tossed cigarette away from a war starting anyway. The episode ends the same way the last one did with Setsuna in bed. Because, <laughs> you know, that's always the biggest cliffhanger. Is he going to have bad dreams? You have to turn in next week to find out. My question for that is, uh, based on his bed, does he actually have sheets? Like, does he know how to make his bed? Yeah, I mean, Or did it just come like that? I assume he knows how to make a bed. He just doesn't want anything over him in case he needs to get out of bed very quickly when things start exploding around him. It's actually a very sad lack of sheets. Uh, that's the end of the episode. I feel like we got most of our final thoughts out of the way early on, but is there anything you guys wanted to add? No, I think I will reiterate that this was like a fairly interesting episode. Um, it like is starting to ask some questions about what Celestial Beans' modes are, I guess. Like, how are they actually going to achieve this thing that they're trying to achieve? And I'm questioning their motive my, at uh, this point. My current only real problem with this episode kind of lies in the fact that we haven't gone anywhere. Where we're kind of ending the episode in the same place as, like you said, the, the last episode ended. Nothing has moved forward. Nothing has changed. We have some more, like, we've character asked few, insight. But... And we've asked a few questions. But in general, the story hasn't gone anywhere. And we haven't learned anything new about the characters, really, right? Like, I really enjoyed that insight into Sets in His Head. But it just sort of reiterates stuff about him. We've only added another character that we also know nothing about. Except for that she's stupid and has an evil vizier. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was actually thinking of Soma. (laughs) 
So we've added three characters, all of which we know nothing about. Yeah, and I feel like we could In addition added... to all the other characters that we also don't really know anything about. I think the most we know about is Sergei and we know about Graham. Like, those are the only two characters we have any real, like, information on. Because those are those two have been more active and vocal about kind of what their motivations are and who they are as people. I feel like we have a pretty good handle on Billy, too. But he's definitely a supporting character to Graham. Yeah, I was going to say we know a ton about Graham. I don't know that we need to know a ton about Graham, but we know a ton about Graham. I'm kind of curious how old Graham is supposed to be. Because he gives <laughs> off the feeling of, like, a young, Here, I got hot-headed I got ace. Because Sergei definitely has the old veteran thing about him. Yeah, he's like a 60-year-old man. He's not 60. I, he's he's probably, anime 60, so like 30. I was going to say, like, 45. I mean, that means Lock-On is, like, 60. Uh, He is... Graham is 27, which is younger than Lock-On. Not by a significant amount, but technically younger. Do you have a high point, Tyler? I actually think it was the whole... Not not a particular scene, but, like, the whole political maneuvering at the end of the episode where, like, uh, this is, like, the three-dimensional chess that Terribia and the U.S. were actually playing. It was actually pretty decent. It, like I said, it wasn't, like, a wild twist, but it was a third option, which I think was not immediately obvious. Zach? I gotta go with the insight into Setsuna's head, with the fountain getting blown up while he's eating his hot dog. Because it is, like I said, it is kind of reiterating the things that we already kind of knew, but it also is a very simple and quick way to kind of show you this is the kind of thing that just kind of runs through his head on a normal basis and kind of reinforces that he's kind of crazy. Like, he he is definitely damaged from his time earlier in life. Yeah, like I said, I didn't remember that scene at all from Double O, which is crazy to me because I think I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of my life. That's how striking that scene was to me. My high point is... I guess Sergey like mentoring Soma Pierce. I just like it so much more than the other mentorship we get in this, where he's like, "Hey, so you know what's going on?" And she does, but he's just Socratically asking the questions, and he's taking. I have been given this daughter very seriously. <laughs> I, I've been given this young child in order to mentor, so I'm going to do it right. Do you have a low point, Tyler? It's kind of vague, but I feel like there is like a lot of not particularly useful screen like. Very short scenes that don't really add anything to the episode or the series. That's Double O's favorite so far. You have some examples? I'll let you do it as a low point, but you need some examples. Yeah, no, I think almost to some extent, Saji running across Setsuna in the park is like not a particularly useful scene. Um, I feel like we could have cut out half of the Soma and Sergei stuff. Um, I, I feel like we could have just introduced Soma next episode, honestly, and that would have been fine. I like. I actually kind of think... Saji running across uh, Setsuna in the park is actually kind of an important scene because it does reinforce that Setsuna is take like he takes in information. That's a character thing and processes information. So like he remembered Saji's name after encountering him once. That's kind of my point, though, is that is a really inefficient scene, though, because anything could have happened to advance the plot at that point. And instead, it was just like, yeah, I remember your name. And that establishes that one character beat. And then Saji disappears off screen. It's kind of a reminder scene in a lot of ways. For you didn't see last episode, these two met. Yeah, and I think I think the show is doing a little bit too much of that, especially considering it also has the here's the world that we've built at the beginning of the episode. Like I feel like we could have just covered that at, during that. It also does kind of tie Louise to uh, Setsuna in a way because she has met him as well. I'm not saying I, I, I don't necessarily think 
that part that's is like good, maybe but... not the best example of that scene or of a scene that is useless in that way I, it's just like i feel like we get a lot of screen time that are like 10 to 30 second clips that don't really do like anything. the other world leaders watching the yeah uh, encounter in Terribia. yeah like none of it's a ton it just like adds up to like man we sure did waste like three minutes of screen time zach the presented relationship right off the bat of Marina and her aide. That was going to be mine, because it's, it's so perplexing to me. Like, if she's supposed to be a instructor, like, like helping her and teaching her this kind of thing that she didn't know, it would make sense, but they don't present it as that. They present it as, like, she's supposed to be the assistant or the aide, and she's just a total bitch towards Marina, and, like... You, well, you don't know this information? Well, ha, I do. Yeah, it comes across as antagonistic. Yeah, it, it like, I, I should have been picked type of situation to lead. It's such a weird way to introduce Marina, too, because she comes off as almost incompetent. And if you need a naive character, you have Saji. And he even fills that role in this episode. And it's not even the fact that she's naive. It's that she's naive and her aide feels like actively working, like... Attacking her for yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I was going to go with that, but since you took it, Zach, I'll go with my backup, which is the fight at the end between Graham and Setsuna. I like it, but I'm reminded of wrestling fan complaints about having two wrestlers fight over and over again without any sort of resolution victory for either one, so neither one looks stronger. Like, Graham and Setsuna keep fighting for two seconds, and then it stops. I mean, on the one hand, that does make a certain amount of sense, because Setsuna has no reason to engage Graham on an extended basis. Yeah, it just seems weird. What am I supposed to take from this relationship? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just, it makes some, a certain amount of sense to me, but we kind of do need them to fight and resolve one of these times. Do you have an MVP, Tyler? Oh, man, I forgot we were doing that. Who is this episode's MVP? Okay, uh, come back to me. I'm, I'm trying to, th- I have two, two floor runners. Okay, Zach. I think I might go with Reddit Mom Sumeragi <laughs> on this one. I think I'm going to go with Setsuna. I really like that trauma he has in this episode. Oh, yeah. No, I also forgot the what 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 is our ranking system for who is MVP? What do you mean? It's just you I didn't establish criteria. You are free to Okay. Well, in that case, I'm going to say the uh, Prime Minister of Terribia. That was an expert play. Well done, sir. <laughs> All right. It's a Gundam will return in Escape Limit Zone. <laughs>